Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to continue uh, with a series that we started last week entitled Rediscover Jesus. Uh, And we're simply preaching through the book of John. I found this really cool outline from Reality Church in Boston. Not really using a lot of their material, but I love uh, the outline uh, they have for the book of John. Now, I'm going to ask you or recommend you do something that I normally don't. Um, if you were not here last week for the, uh, when we opened this uh, series up, I want to encourage you uh, to go back and watch last week's message because last week's message was a tone setter. Uh, for this entire series. So if you haven't watched it, I don't normally do that, say, hey, go back and watch it, uh, because I can't stand to watch myself preach. Every time I watch myself on video, I'm like, how do these people come back week after week? Uh, But for for you, I I really want you to grasp the how and the why we're doing this series. Here's what we said last week. All right, we said, I said, that we have been so distracted this last year, all right? I want you to think about it. I'll I'll, I'll talk about it a lot because we talked about it quite a bit last week. But last March, when the world kind of shut down, I don't think there was anyone in here who looked ahead to January 2021, almost February, and said, yeah, we're still going to be struggling with this, right? So it's been almost a year. Uh, uh, 400,000 people have passed away. Some of you have lost loved ones. And the crazy thing is, is that COVID's still here. Uh, there's still people getting infected. And so we still have all of that just kind of weighing heavy on us. We moved from that, if you remember, to protests that turned into riots, right? Cities were being burned. Cars were being burned. We were yelling at people to, to just defund the police. And violence begat more violence, and all of us just sat there and watched as these cities burned and thought, why doesn't anyone do anything about this? Then we moved from that into the election. Now, if you're visiting here, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, I am not a preacher. This is not a church that tells you what music you should listen to, what movies you should watch, and who you should vote for. Uh, Because we believe we introduce you to Jesus and you work out your salvation with fear and trembling on your own. However, it was a brutal election, right? Most of us are like, man, I'm glad that's over. But then there was all these conspiracy theories, right? Get your bread, get your milk, gas up your car. There's going to be martial law. Hide your kids, hide your wife, keep cash on hand. All of that stuff. We had all of of, of that going on. And then I said this last week, the rest of the world got a break. But for six weeks, every day, we had this Georgia Senate runoff race. It's up to you, Georgia, to decide the fate of the country. And text messages and emails and phone calls and more phone calls and commercials after commercials. And it got ugly. It was a four-way just smear campaign. Well, we got that behind us. 
And then we had the protest at the Capitol building. The Capitol building was breached. People died. And then with all that going on, we had the social media just wars, just clickbait and false news and, and arguing and fussing and just dehumanizing each other, just tearing each other down. We were just like mean and nasty. We had all this stuff going on. And I believe, as I said last week, it has caused us to be distracted. It has caused us to take our eyes off of Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so we need to rediscover Jesus. We need to rediscover the fact that God's is about love, not hate. We, we need to rediscover that we have hope in Jesus. We, we need to realize that Jesus is still on the throne. He's still all-powerful, that he's still sovereign. He still works things out for the good of those who serve him. And we need to realize that without Jesus, we are hopeless. We have no hope. We have to keep our eyes fixed on him. My wife sent me a, a really neat little story, little article a member of a church who had previously been attending uh, services very regularly just stopped going to church. Well, after a few weeks, the preacher decided to, to visit him on this windy, chilly evening. Well, the pastor found the man at home alone, and he was sitting by a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed him in, led him to a comfortable chair near the fireplace, and waited. Neither one of them said a word to each other. The pastor made himself at home and he still said nothing. He just sat there in grave silence. And he watched the flames dance in the fire. And after some minutes, he took a pair of fire tongs, the, the, the pastor did, and carefully picked up a bright burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth all alone and sat back in his chair, still silent. And the host watched in quiet contemplation. Neither one of them said a, th a word. As the lone ember's flame flickered and diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then there was fire no more in that ember. It was cold, and it was dead. Not a word had been spoken. The pastor glanced at his watch and realized it was time to leave. So he slowly stood up and picked up that cold, dead ember. And he placed it right back in the middle of the fire. And immediately it burst forth and it began to glow. Once more with the light and the warmth of the burning coals surrounding it. As the pastor reached the door, still no words had been said. His host ran up to him with tears running down his cheek. He said, thank you so much for your visit and especially for your fiery sermon. I'll be back at church next Sunday. Friends, this is why we're doing this series, Rediscover Jesus. Because as a pastor, as a preacher, not just at this church, but with a kingdom view, God's kingdom all around our country, far too many people are flickering out. Far too many people have Jesus, the Lord of light and life, fading from their hearts. The problems of the world have caused us to take our eyes off of Jesus, 
who is the solution to the world's problems. And so I said this last week, man, for the next 12 weeks, I just want you with me to engage with Jesus in these large, like Costco-sized quantities, just to immerse ourselves in Jesus, the Lord of light and the Lord of life. And so today, I, I, I want to challenge you to answer two questions of yourself. Who are you? And more importantly, whose are you? So we're going to read our text this morning. We're still in John chapter 1. Let me set it up real quick. John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John, but we're going to be introduced to another John. This is John the Baptist, okay? And John is writing about John the Baptist, uh, his encounter he has with the religious elite, but also the encounter that he has with Jesus, and so we're, I want to read it. Uh, it's kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture, so take a shot of coffee, pry open those eyes, and let's go. John chapter 1, picking up in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? In other words, you're out here in the wilderness preaching, but there is a lot, you're getting a lot of traction. A lot of people are coming to you so much so that the bigwig leaders in Jerusalem sent us to find out what's going on. Who are you? And we need to give them an answer. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, and John said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, John sees Jesus. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Remember we talked about that last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Logos, the divine mind of God, that's Jesus. He's always been. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of of God. Okay, so this passage challenges us to ask those two very important questions of ourselves. Question number one, who am I? 
right? That seems ridiculous. Like I could say, I, I'm Kevin Barton. But it, 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 that's not what the question is. It's who am I at my core? What makes my blood pump? What gets my heart going? What gets me excited? What do I value? Where do I store my treasures? Where is my hope? Who am I? And we need to know the answer to that question because strong character identifies a strong core identity. Look at verse 19. Testimony of John. They sent the priests and the Levites and they asked him, Who are you? And I want you to understand that this is not a question of vocation. It's a question of identity. In other words, they said, hey, we've heard of you. You're kind of a weird guy. You, you eat locusts and wild honey. Yum. Like ve extreme vegan. I guess it's not vegan because that's meat, but I'd rather, be, I'd rather eat that than be a vegan, I think. Just kidding. We've heard all these things about you. Who are you? Look at verse 20. He, John, confessed, I am not the Christ. So John responds with the question, who are you, by first telling them who he's not. And John says, I am not the Christ. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm not the chosen one. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior of the world. If that's who you think I am, that's not me. And can I be really, really blunt with you for a second? That's not you either. You are not the Messiah. You are not the Savior of the world. Nor am I. None of us can bear that weight. What's happened in the evangelical community is there is a lot of people walking around with like a Messiah complex. Like it's all on me. It's all about me. If I don't get it done, no one's going to get it done. And I've had people say to me, eh, I don't know what we do if you got, you know, hit by a Mack truck and died. First of all, thank you for thinking of me that way. Uh, yeah, you know, what would happen to this church if I died? You'd put me six feet in the ground, you'd come back to the, to the fellowship hall, you'd have fried chicken and macaroni salad, and then you would go back to the business of the Lord, you'd hire the next man for the job, and God's will would still be carried out. Because I'm not the Messiah, you're not the Messiah. John says, hey, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And what I want you to understand is you can't save anybody from their sin. I can't save anyone from their sin, but oh, we sure can't introduce them to the man who can, Jesus Christ. John says, listen, I'm not the Christ. It's not me. Then look at verse 21. So they said, all right, so you're not this Messiah we've heard about. Then are you Elijah? John said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Let's talk about those two things. First, they asked John, are you Elijah? Which is a really, really strange question because Elijah lived thousands of years in the past in the Old Testament. But Elijah was this, this great prophet of God that didn't experience death. There's only two people in the Bible that didn't die. Elijah's one of them. God favored him and loved him so much that he called him up with a chariot of fire into heaven. And so many Jews believed that Elijah would return because he never died. 
All right, and so they thought that was John. And the reason they thought that was John is because this. If you study, I go back and study Elijah. He was a weird, weird dude. He was a weirdo. He wore camel skins. He lived in the, in the, in the wilderness. Birds brought him food. He did these weird things. And John, thousands of years later, is this weird, weird guy. He wears camel skins. He's living off of the grid. He's eating honey-covered grasshoppers. He's preaching this turn and burn, repent or perish. The kingdom of God is near. He's just, you know, this hellfire and brimstone preacher. Repent, repent, repent. So he was weird like Elijah. And he says, no, 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 that's not me. I'm not Elijah. Then they said, and I want you to notice this. Are you the prophet? They didn't say, are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? What does that mean? Well, it's taken from the book of Deuteronomy when Moses, the great prophet, is speaking to, his, to God's people. He says this in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So they're saying, listen, so you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, so are you this prophet that Moses is speaking about? John says, no, I'm not him. Incidentally, the prophet Moses was speaking about in Deuteronomy 18.15 was Jesus. He says, no, I'm not him. And they said, well, who are you then? Okay, and so just like these leaders were asking John and just pray, they over and over again, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I want you to understand that God stands before us asking that same question. Who are you? I love John's response. Look at verses 22 and 23. They said to him, who are you? Man, we need to give an account to these people who sent us. We're going to get in trouble. What do you say about yourself? He said... I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I love that. He says, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. And I love that because if we are in Christ, our core identity is given to us right here by John the Baptist. You see, what John is saying is, this is what I'm here for. This is what I exist to do. My purpose in life is to cry out in the wilderness and make straight a path so people can get to Jesus Christ, to make much about Jesus, to to make it all about Jesus because it's dangerous in the wilderness. People are lost and starving to death where all these outliers lay. And so that kind of begs you and I to ask this question of ourselves. Where is my wilderness? Where did God place me to cry out and make straight the path of the Lord? For some of you, your wilderness is your nine to five, right? Your office complex, your factory, your building, your school, wherever you work. It's just full of people who are jacked up and broken and they're kind of outliers and they're hurting. And you might be the only light that they see. For some of you, your wilderness may be school, elementary, middle, high school, college. It's a lot of lost and broken people. 
For some of you, your wilderness may be your neighborhood. You've got neighbors who have marriage problems. You've got neighbors who've lost loved ones. You've got all these opportunities to be salt and light. And for all of us, Hiram, Georgia is our wilderness. This is where God placed us to cry out in the darkness that Jesus is the light that saves. Where is your wilderness? Where is it that God is calling you to cry out? And and I I want you to understand this because I feel like I'm beating uh, a dead horse here. But friends, the American evangelical church is shrinking and drying up before our very eyes. And we're more concerned about who our president is. We're more concerned about hating each other and proving each other wrong. Right, I gave you this statistic. The Barna, Barna Report said that 40% of the American evangelical church is not coming back after COVID. Right, we only have a third of our church back still. The church is shrinking because we are not calling out in the wilderness. Look what John says in chapter 3, John the Baptist here. I just love this. This is kind of a life verse for me. He simply says this about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see how John is making much of Jesus? Robert Murray says this, for every look at yourself, you should take 10 looks at Christ. Let me say that again. For every look at yourself, we should take 10 looks at Christ. John knew who he was. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Then you go back to the text that we've been swimming around in, verse 27 of John chapter 1. He says, listen, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John is saying, listen, man, you think think I'm the Messiah, I'm not. You think I'm Elijah, I'm not. You think I'm the prophet, I'm not. I'm telling you, there's one coming behind me, I'm the forerunner, and I'm not even worthy to bend down and take sandals off his dirty feet. I'm just so unworthy. What's crazy is when you kind of do a case study on John the Baptist, John the Baptist was remarkable. In fact, I want to encourage you this week during your your Bible study time, read Luke chapter 7. Because in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and he says this, there has not been a greater man born than John the Baptist. There's not been a greater man born from a a woman than John the Baptist. And he wasn't exaggerating, right? I I exaggerate quite a bit. It's a flaw. It's a personality flaw I have. Any other exaggerators in here? Not many exaggerators, but some liars, right? (laughs) But I I, I exaggerate. And so I, I, I remember, I'll say something to my wife. I said this about my father-in-law one time. To my wife, I said, man, he, Benji is the greatest human being that's ever lived. But I can go the opposite, right? The, 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 the opposite. That's the worst human being that's ever lived. That's an exaggeration. When Jesus says John is the, he's not exaggerating. It's not a hyperbole. He's saying this is a great, great man. The greatest human that's ever been born from a woman. But John has no clue of his greatness. He's eating grasshoppers and honey 
and just preaching Jesus and says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. So essentially, John is saying this. You want to know who I am? I'm a person that is not worthy. But Jesus loved me anyway. Right? It was John that wrote those words that we all know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believe in him shall not. Yeah. So you, you did pay attention in Sunday school. Right? But John says, man, I'm, I'm just not worthy. But Jesus loved me anyway. And listen to me. It's exactly who we are. The second question this passage challenges us to ask is this question. Whose am I? In other words, who do I belong to? I was listening to a preacher from Australia. He's not a famous guy. I just, I like to listen to, I can, I'm a preaching junkie. I'll listen to anyone. So I was listening to this guy, and he was being very transparent with his congregation about his 12-year-old son. Now, if you've had a 12-year-old son, you might be able to identify. Even if you had a 12-year-old, if you had a 12-year-old, you'd be able to identify. The 12-year-old was a good kid for the most part, but he had started acting up. It's kind of a larger family. I've got five kids, so I get it. It's always at each other's throat. Well, he was mistreating his siblings. He started to become disrespectful to his mom. He started to, 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 to cause trouble at school for no apparent reason. He was a pretty good kid. And, and so they didn't know what to do, so they tried the, the, the first thing that many parents tried to do. They tried to discipline him. Give me your phone. Give me your TV. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing this until you change your attitude. All right, well, that didn't work. It just got worse. So then he said to his congregation, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to admit this, he said, but I did what a lot of desperate parents do. I resorted to bribery. If you just behave, you can do this. If you treat your siblings kind, you can have that. He said it worked for a very short period of time, but within a couple weeks, it was just back to normal. Well, one night it reached a fever pitch in the house, and he was just being so unkind to his siblings and so disrespectful to his mom. And, and finally, he had had enough. So he grabbed his son by the hand, and he took his son into his son's bedroom. And he had him standing in front of him. He took his hands and he put them on his son's shoulder. And he said, look at me, son. I love you. You're my son. But you're going to treat the people that I love in this house with dignity and respect. You're going to listen to me. And I want you to understand, I know you've been bad. But I love you whether you're bad or you're good. You will always belong to me. I will always claim you. You will always be my son. It must have worked because not many 12-year-old boys break out into tears, but he did. And from that day on, his behavior changed. You see, we can't truly answer that first question if we don't answer this question. In other words, you will never know who you are until you first understand whose you are. I read this quote last week, but man, it has just been bouncing around in my head and in my life all week. It's convicted me a little bit. It's from Peter T. Forsyth. He said this, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, 
but its master. To me, that's so profound. I want to ask you a question. Who is your master? Who do you belong to? Right, right. And so think about John. Who are you, John? Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the great prophet? No. I'm just John, a voice in the wilderness. In other words, the most important thing about me is not who I am. The most important thing about me is whose I am, who I belong to. And John says, listen, I belong to Jesus. John puts his faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Have you? Who do you belong to? I'm going to say this, and I'm certainly not, uh, you know, trying to be mean. I'm not going to, but I don't want to sugarcoat anything. You either belong to one or two people, Jesus or the devil, period. We're either a son of God, a daughter of God, or we're a son and daughter of the world. I'm going to talk about it in just, in just, just a minute. We'll get back to that. So John says, listen, I belong to Jesus. That's whose I am. And then John states three things about Jesus in the text. I want you to see this. Number one, verse 29, he says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him. And I don't want to scare you here because I'm going to yell. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the, the sin of the world. You notice the exclamation point there? John's excited. He shouts it out. And I, I want you to notice something that, that we often miss. He didn't say the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, singular word of the world. You see, what John is referring to is the root that's wrong with all of human beings, with all of human condition. We are born into this bondage of sin. And John said, behold the Lamb of God, but he didn't stop there. He said, who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he doesn't just forgive us, he frees us. I'm going to give you a hypothetical illustration, and I'm going to say this. You pick the president, any president you want, all right? Let's say you murder the son of the president of the United States. There's no doubt you've been tried, you've, con you've been convicted, and there you are rotting in a jail cell. When all of a sudden someone opens your cell and says, hey, man, you got a visitor, come with me. And you walk into that little room where they do visits in the, in the prison, and there's the president of the United States standing there. And he says, you killed my son but I forgive you. I only want good things for you. It's, for, it's forgiven. I hold no ill will towards you. Then he uses his POTUS status to give you a presidential pardon. Then he uses his POTUS status and the power he has to expunge your criminal record like it never happened. Now, you're a murderer, but you walk out forgiven, free, and all wrongdoing erased. 
That's the power of Jesus Christ, friends. That's why the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed, he has expunged. He has not only forgiven, he has forgotten our transgressions. They've been erased. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's interesting, if I could just say this quickly and in passing because I'm running out of time here, is that, that John is, is telling us that not only did he take away the sin of the world, but he provided the sacrifice to take away the sin of the world, his son Jesus Christ. So when he calls him the Lamb of God, what is he referring to? He's referring to the Passover Lamb. Remember, we did a whole series on the Feast of Israel last year. And, and, and in the book of Exodus, God's people are enslaved by Egypt, and they're trying, God said, all right, Pharaoh, let my people go, and he sends all these plagues, and Pharaoh won't let him go, and God said, my people will be free, so I'm going to send one final plague. There's going to be the death of every firstborn child, not just humans, but all livestock. All firstborn children are going to be dead, but for my people, just take an innocent lamb and slaughter it and rub that blood on the doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over your sins. That's what John's saying. He is the sacrificial lamb provided by God. God provided the sacrifice. Do you remember Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament? This is a weird thing. As a father, I, 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 don't, I can't get my... I, I, I get it, but it's just hard for me to fathom. God says, go up to the mountain and sacrifice your son. So he says, come on, Ike. We're going to take a trip. Where are we going? Ah, God wants me to sacrifice. He wants me to build an altar on this mountain and sacrifice. Do you remember what Isaac says first? Isaac looks around and he sees the wood and he sees the fuel and he, and he, and he sees all the stuff that's going to be used for a burnt offering. But he, he turns around and he says, well, where's the sacrifice? Remember what Abraham says? God will provide the sacrifice, son. Come on. Up the mountain they go. Altar is built. As a father, I can't even fathom this. Isaac lay down. He bounds him. The knife goes up. And then the Lord says, Abraham, do not harm the boy. I provided a sacrifice. There's a ram in the thicket. The ram is sacrificed. And they leave the mountain. But before they leave the mountain, do you know what Abraham does? Do you remember that? He renames the mountain. Do you know what he renamed it in the Hebrew? The Lord has provided the sacrifice. Now, I can't even tell you what an awkward walk back down that mountain, right? (laughs) Dad, what is up? (laughs) But the Lord provides the sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God that saves us. Then John calls Jesus the baptizer. The baptizer empowers us. Friends, God doesn't just want to save our souls. He wants to empower us to do great things. Look at verse 33. John said, I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom the Spirit descended and remained, this is he who baptizes not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. 
John's like, listen, I'm just, bat- I'm just baptizing people because he told me to, and this is his repentance baptism, but Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Lamb of God frees me, but the baptizer empowers me. And God wants to empower you with his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is one of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible. Every Christian should know it inside and out because it is the history of why we're sitting here today. It's how the New Testament church started. In Acts chapter 2, it's, real, it's a real dark and dreary time. Remember, Jesus had just been crucified. He laid in the tomb for three days. He defeated death and he rose. He appeared to over 500 people. And right before he ascends to heaven, he says to his disciples, listen, go to Jerusalem, which was the most dangerous place. Well, that's where they just crucified Jesus. Go there, and the Holy Spirit will descend on you and unleash power that you don't even know you have. So in Acts chapter 2, they're there, but they're, they're scared. Peter's arguing with everybody, but you know what he's saying? I just want to go fishing, man. Let's just go fishing. That'd be me. Come on, let's go, let's go hunt. And they're arguing. But then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 2, you have this whirlwind, this great wind, and the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles. And Peter gets up and speaks in languages that he's never spoke. And he preaches, and 3,000 souls were saved that day. They were baptized into Christ, and the church exploded. And then when you read the book of Acts, they did all these mighty, powerful things. Healing the sick. Paul could, Paul's handkerchief could just heal somebody. He could raise people from the dead. You see, friends, God doesn't just want to save us. He wants to empower us to walk with him, but more importantly, to walk like him. During the times of the Old West when people were trying to make their fortunes, a father and son arrived in a small western frontier town looking for an uncle who they both had never met, they'd never seen. Suddenly, the the father pointed across the city square to a man who was walking, and the father explained, there goes my uncle. His son said, well, how do you know that's your uncle? We've never seen him before. He said, son, I know that's him because he walks exactly like my father. You see, if we walk in the Spirit, the world should know us by the way we walk. And friend, when you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you have God's Spirit living in you. And it empowers all of us to walk in ways that we never thought we could walk. It empowers us to walk like our Heavenly Father. Jesus, the Lamb of God who saves us. Jesus, the baptizer who empowers us. And finally, John says, He's the Son of God. Look at verse 34. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. In other words, he has all authority. What did Jesus say during the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and and on earth has been given to me. And so we walk under the authority of Jesus. Now I want to tell you a cold, hard truth. This means for us, for you, who pick up your cross daily to follow him, that Jesus is not your life coach. He is your king. And kings 
deserve glory and honor and obedience and submission. He has all authority because he took on all of God's wrath for you and for me. And so John tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who saves us. He's the baptizer that empowers us. But he's also the Son of God who has authority in all of our lives. But hear me. John was a human being. He had fears and doubts. Look at me. Just like you do. In fact, I want you to see this. We're fast-forwarding. We're going to go to Matthew's narrative for just a minute. John finds himself in prison, just sitting in a cell, rotting. Eventually, he's going to have his head chopped off, and it's going to be served on a silver platter to a teenage girl and her witch of a mother. But while in prison, John... The greatest man who's ever been born, according to Jesus, the one who declares he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the great baptizer, he is the Son of God, John has this crisis of faith. And I want you to see this, Matthew chapter 11, picking up in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, who was in prison, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by one of his disciples. This is word to Jesus. And he said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Is it really you? John's saying, okay, Jesus, it's real for me now. I'm not living off the grid in the wilderness. I'm imprisoned because of you. Are you really the one? Are you really the Lamb of God? Are you really the baptizer? Are you really the Son of God? Even even John had a crisis of faith. Things weren't going well. I can't help but to think that's been us for a while, right? Ten months into this COVID thing. What's going on, Jesus? I thought you were in control. Are you the one? Watching cities burn. Why does anyone do anything? Politics. Fraud or not. Hate. Are you sure you're the one, Jesus? Are you sure that you're still in control, God? Are you still on your throne? And I want you to see the answer that Jesus sends back to John. Now, he's answering John, but I think he's also right here, right now, encouraging us today. And Jesus answered, verse 4, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. 
and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is saying, yeah, John, I'm the one. It's me. I'm still in control. I'm still in control when there's suffering, when there's injustice, when there's corruption. I was in control when Donald Trump was inaugurated as our president. In other words, Jesus said, I didn't move off the throne for him. Nor did I move off the throne for Joe Biden. I don't move off the throne for anyone. One person in the whole universe tried to take my throne. His name was Lucifer, and it didn't work out for him. Yeah, I'm the one. I heal the blind, cleanse lepers, heal the deaf, raise the dead. Yeah, I'm the one. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the baptizer who empowers you, and I'm the Son of God who has all authority. So let me wind this down. My hope is that you leave here today with those two questions rattling around in your mind all week long. Who am I? What's my core identity? But more importantly than that, whose am I? Who is my master? Who do I serve? You see, when we know the answer to that question, whose am I, we're able to answer a third even more complicated question. And don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But that question is, what am I here for? What am I here for? Remember I told you you belong to one or two people? The devil, which is also the world, or Jesus, period. Okay. And if you don't know whom you belong to, you belong to the world. And what's the world's mantra? Take, take, take. I got 80 years to live my life, so I'm going to carpe diem the mess out of this day. I'm going to get all I can out of life. I'm going to go for the gusto. I'm going I'm to indulge and splurge, but also insulate with comfort. And I'm going to get where I want to go. And I don't care who I step on. And these aren't people. These are just stepping blocks. They have no souls because it doesn't matter. Because I've got 80 years to get done what I want to get done. And if you don't like it, I'll talk bad about you on Facebook. And we can argue about it, but I don't care because that's who I am. But if you belong to Jesus... That's whose you are. We take on the attitude of John. Man, I'm a sinner. But I am just here to cry out in the wilderness. To make straight as I can the path for the lost people to come to Jesus. That I will decrease so Jesus can increase. If you're here and you're a believer today, I just want to finish by saying this. Who are you? You're a child of God, loved by a perfect heavenly Father. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by Him, and you are a beneficiary to eternal life and all the riches heaven has to offer. Whose are you? You're a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And why are you here? 
just like me, to cry out in the wilderness and make straight the path of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.